Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. First off, we want to apologize to our listeners for our inconsistency this year with recording. We're trying to get back to regularly releasing our episodes, so please bear with us as we navigate some of our other responsibilities. This spring is on par with what we've been seeing lately for planting, which is to say anything goes. We had really good planting conditions early in April, but many were hesitant to plant too much given the weather outlook of it going to be raining and cold. For those who did plant, we're finally starting to see some emergence. And in fact, I've passed a couple fields in the last few days that I can row from my truck, which is exciting. I think overall, we've been able to avoid crusting across much of Ohio since we haven't had the heat units here lately, but we have had some pretty cool and wet soil conditions, which causes a different set of issues. So today we wanna talk about those issues and what it means for our crop when we think about disease and insect pressure. What should we be keeping an eye on as these plants emerge? To help us out, we're joined today by Dr. Kelly Tillman and Dr. Horacio Lopez-Nicora. So will you guys take a moment to introduce yourselves? Kelly, let's start with you. Uh, Sure, Elizabeth. Uh, My name is Kelly Tillman. I am a professor in the entomology department at OSU with a specialty in field crop insects. Hello, Elizabeth and Amanda. Very glad to be here again. My name is Horacio Lopez-Nicora. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Plant Pathology, and I'm the soybean pathologist and nematologist. So to start off with, I mentioned earlier, you know, we had that planting window early in April, but now two or three weeks have passed and some of that seed is still sitting in the ground and hasn't emerged. So Kelly, can you talk about, you've got some experience with seed treatment, you know, that's improved over the years, but how well can we expect that to hold up and what kind of issues are we going to see? Yeah, so uh, seed treatments are applied to the external coat of the seed and then are designed to be taken up by the plant as it germinates and distributed in the plant tissue to provide protection against certain insects and diseases. So they're very water soluble. They need to be to be able to be taken up through the plant and the vascular system of the plant. So that water solubility can prove to be a problem when the seed sits in the soil too long uh, because there's an opportunity for that seed treatment to actually wash off of the seed if there's enough exposure to rain percolating through the soil. Uh, Typically, if the conditions are excellent, you might expect a seed treatment to hold up on the seed before germination for 10 to 14 days in the soil. But in my experience, uh, the actual time period where that seed treatment is still available and ready for uptake by the germinating plant, maybe less than that. Uh, If you've had, particularly if you've had rainy conditions, I would say You've got a solid maybe week, but perhaps not a lot lot longer than that if you have had a lot of water, particularly moving through that has the ability to wash off that seed treatment. So what that means for your pest problems, in particular the insects that uh, I work with, is that certain soil-borne insect pests that you might normally have uh, a level of protection against because of your seed treatment, those could actually prove to be a problem that you might not expect. Uh, Two examples of that are seed corn maggot, which can be a problem in both corn and soybean, and wireworms, uh, which tend to be a problem in your grassier crops, such as corn and small grain. 
So that would manifest itself. You would see that problem as poor emergence, skips in the row, maybe stunted plants uh, because those insects have fed in the soil on the either the seed itself or on the developing root structure of the new seedling. Uh, unfortunately, there are no rescue treatments once that happens. And so you would be looking at a decision whether it would be worth your while to replant or not. So Kelly, as those plants come up, um, if we're digging seed to see, was there a seed there? If it didn't come up, why? What should we be looking for from an insect standpoint? Yeah, so you want to take a trial and you want to dig around uh, the root system of plants that look poorly or dig where you would expect to see a plant where you aren't and try to find the actual uh, plant. If the seed has been fed on, it'll be pretty obvious that you've had some some feeding in that seed and you may even see the culprits in the still in the seed feeding away. If uh, if it's a root situation, you may see the wireworms or the maggots um, around the root system, or even um, in the case of the seed corn maggots, you may see the maggots feeding on the little cotyledons uh, of a soybean plant, for example. So once you go digging around, it's pretty obvious that something's been chewing. Um, I would make one other little side note here, another early season pest of seedling plants that we were worry about are slugs. And this issue with uh, seed treatments doesn't impact slug activity one way or the other. Slugs are not insects and they are completely uh, unaffected by even a strong insecticidal seed treatment. So if you have slugs, uh, you can't blame it on um, washed away seed treatment. Yeah, slugs are a pain in my side every spring, it feels like. So if we're looking at a field and the stand is bad enough that we're thinking about replanting it, do we need to worry about those insect pests with the new seed that we may plant into an existing stand? I would say typically not because by the time you're replanting, the soil is warmer, those things are going to germinate quickly. You still have strong protection on that seed uh, during the window when it's in the soil waiting to germinate. Um, Plus those pests are going to be further along in their life cycle uh, and may actually, if it's late enough, even be past the point of needing to feed at all. They may have matured into the adult form where they don't feed and moved on to other pastures. In your experience, as you've uh, investigated how long seed treatment is available, are there ways you can look visually to see if that seed treatment is still there or at some point it may still be effective, but it's not as visible as, say, when you put the seed in the ground? Now that pink color, green color, whatever the treatment might be. So seed treatments are notoriously difficult to get stuck to the seed, and there have been a lot of improvements in formulation over the years, but there has always been the expectation among the uh, applicators of those products that a lot of it will go missing even under good conditions. And so typically there is an over-application above what is going to be needed. Um, So you can lose some of that color and you still have what would be considered sufficient product. So it's a little bit hard to just look, even if you see that some of the uh, coloration has gone, it's, it's, it's hard to eyeball whether you've got enough or not. So I, I wouldn't be comfortable making any generalizations about visual inspection of the, of the insecticidal product. Hopefully looking at the forecast, those soils are going to warm up here over the next couple of days and we're going to get this crop out of the ground that's been sitting there. As we see that emergence, 
Um, switching over to you, Horacio, what kind of disease should we be looking for or should we be concerned about? Yes, comment on the type of symptoms that we will see in the field. Symptoms are representation of these problems, right? And as Kelly was, was telling us, these will be aggregating space. They will be clustered, right? So we will see pockets that will be delayed in emerging or we will see those stand reduction. And normally it will happen in areas clumped together. And that's exactly how insects, very wet areas in our fields, if we're talking about an abiotic physiological damage may take place, but also disease. So pathogens normally will be aggregated, clustered in our field. A disease will only take place if we have the three parts of the disease triangle, which means the presence of the virulent pathogens. And most of the times we will know this because historically we have been affected by these organisms. Places where water is retained and there's poor drainage, we may have problems with water moles, such as Phytophthora and Pythium. Within these, there's multiple species, especially with Pythium. We have different species that can affect plants at different temperature. The other part of the triangle is that conducive environmental condition. So temperature, seeding water in the case of water mold, cold uh, soil temperatures in the case of Fusarium raminearum or Rhizoctonia, that can also affect the crop. And the third component of this triangle is the susceptible uh, host, in this case, our soybean. Most of the time, we try to alleviate that by planting something resistant to this pathogen, but also protecting them using a, a seed treatment. We have been noticing with early plantings that these plants take a while or have been taking a while to come up. And from some of the trials that we have been visiting, plants are coming up after two weeks of being planted. And we have been finding some damage that look very similar to those caused by fungal pathogens or fungal-like pathogens like oomycetes. So most of the time, discoloration in the tissue, most of the time, the seed will be completely rotten. Most of the time, they germinate, but they do not fully emerge. We call this pre-emergent dumping off, uh, which we only know by digging and, and, and getting those seedlings out. And the third one is when plants just recently emerged, they are affected by this organism, and we call this post-emergent dumping off. Depending on what organism we're talking about, the symptomology will be slightly different. The water molds will tend to rotten the tissue. Pythium, for example, will rotten all the cortical area, leaving the pith of the seedling intact. Fusarium will create a very brown to reddish discoloration, same like Rhizoctonia will do. But this is really hard to know if you haven't been trained and look at different samples. So in our lab, we can help with, with this. Digging these plants can be very easy if we target these areas where, where our uh, crop is not coming out, where we suspect we have a problem with disease. And in the lab, we can help by surface sterilizing these plants, cleaning them very well, and isolating, if any, the pathogen that is within the plant and maybe identifying the culprit. Of this, of this problem. Again, the same comments that Kelly was mentioning apply for speedling or seed diseases here. As we get in a warmer season, plants will emerge faster, product will be more effective, we may have a better 
soybean stunt. So similar to the question Elizabeth asked Kelly, then if we do have these diseases impact our stand and we need to replant, is there concern about the disease being present there and infesting our replanted seed? I always go back to the disease triangle to answer this type of question, or even when I'm thinking about it, right? So there will be one very crucial part of this disease triangle that will definitely change, which is that conducive environmental condition. Things will change, will get drier, will get warmer, um, and that will help that susceptible crop to emerge faster, grow out of that period where it's extremely susceptible to this pathogen. And maybe if the seed were treated with a fungicide, that product will still be available to protect that germination and emergence. These soil-borne pathogens are very uh, hard to eradicate once we have it. We could work with some crop rotation and try to rotate to non-host, but, sm- but most of the time it's extremely difficult. For instance, Fusarium graminearum, which is one fungal pathogen that can cause this type of seedling problems, we know very well that can also affect wheat and corn. So pretty much that leaves us with very little to do in terms of trying to reduce the, the initial inoculum, especially if, if we're under uh, an agricultural system where we do not till. However, using the correct feed treatment and the uh, genetics available, we have uh, resistance in the cultivars that we're planting, then integrating these can be a great management strategy. So this question is for either of you. If we see this impacting our fields, I think one thing is maybe to consider planting into better conditions, but are there other steps uh, farmers can take to prevent Rossio? Are there resistant varieties to any of these Kelly, is there something we need to make sure we're looking for in our seed treatment, maybe to make it more effective, those types of strategies? So I can start with uh, comments on seed corn maggot. The biggest risk factor for having a seed corn maggot uh, problem in the first place is particularly for people who disc in any type of organic matter into the soil before planting. So that might be disking in a cover crop or a previous alfalfa field or disking in manure and then planting fairly soon, say a week to 10 days after that disking process. Those seed corn maggots are attracted to that kind of nice rot, the the flies that lay the eggs are attracted to that nice rotty smell coming out of the soil from those incorporations and that's where they will come to lay their eggs. So those are the practices that put you at high risk for seed corn maggot in the first place. Now, fortunately, seed corn maggots don't set up permanent populations in fields. It's an opportunistic thing where the flies would come in each year and either lay eggs there or not. So that is a strategy avoiding those types of uh, cultural practices if you are concerned about seed corn maggot. And definitely if you do those types of cultural practices, consider a um, at least a moderate to perhaps a high rate of insecticidal seed treatment. You know, very similar approach. First, know what kind of problem you have especially when we're talking about disease, right? Um, what pathogens you have in, in the field. And, and many times you will have multiple pathogens affecting your crop in the early stages. But this is very important, A, because the products that will be very effective for the water moles, all mycetes, such as Phytophthora and Pythium, will absolutely have no effect on the other true fungi. 
like Fusarium, Rhizogdonia, and, and other early season pathogens. There is uh, resistance, and most of the time, this will be included in the in the label or, or the packet of the seeds and cultivars you're gonna plant. Some of these are genes that uh, confers resistance to specific either pathotypes or races. Others, it's a quantitative type of resistance that is more broad in the sense that can protect against various, uh, several races of a specific pathogen. And the one that I'm thinking of is Phytophthora, right? And again, like Kelly was mentioning, uh, trying to play with that conducive environmental condition. How can I avoid falling into that very prominent and, and advantageous conditions for the pathogen to cause uh, the problem is key. If I can can wait to plant when soils get warmer or when I wait to soil, you know, drain and, and not plant on seeding wet conditions, then all these things can help us. Of course, sometimes we cannot predict this, right? We plant when the weather was beautiful and then we had a week of rain and and just that condition came afterwards. In that uh, in that sense, and having experienced this for the past years now with these extreme weather conditions we have in, in spring, take advantage of the treatment, knowing the pathogens you have there and the resistant package that your cultivar may have are great ways of preventing yield losses or, or stand reduction. Yeah, that's all helpful advice. I know it's nice to be aware of the risks when we're making decisions to take advantage of those planting windows that we have. And Kelly, you opened the door earlier to slugs. So I know we've got some listeners that here over the next couple of weeks are going to be seeing slugs in their sleep as they devour their corn and soybean fields. So do you have any tips for, for those folks about things that will make their lives easier or maybe happier. <laughs> yeah, so we do we don't have a lot of rescue treatments for slugs but we do have some and these are uh, baited pellets that the slug has to actually eat, consume uh, for them to work. And one example, uh, an active ingredient, metaldehyde would be in a product, for example, Deadline MP, MP stands for mini pellets. And then iron phosphate is an active ingredient that is um, perhaps not as effective as metaldehyde, but is organic approved. So those are two options. It's very important to uh, apply those um, when you, you don't want to apply them before rain, because once those pellets dissolve, they're not available for the slug to go and munch on them. So uh, be keep an eye to the weather and don't put them down before rain events that are going to dissolve them and make them ineffective. And also it's better to treat earlier rather than later because it's a lot harder to kill a big slug than a little slug. So if you think, if you have a history of slug problems or you think you might have slugs, make sure to go out and look early. If you're looking during the day, look for the feeding damage, but also you can see slime trails on the plants as a telltale that it's been slugs. Or if you wanna catch them in the act, they are night feeders. So you can go out at dusk or just after dark with a flashlight and actually look for the critters and just uh, try to try to get on it sooner rather than later um, because those big slugs, the products won't necessarily even kill them once they get to a certain growth stage. I think the last thing we want is just some slugs with belly aches that are still eating. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to also mention, I know we're talking about problems that will affect, you know, immediately plants coming out or not, which is the, the problems that we're discussing. But these early 
conditions can also be favorable for problems that we will see later. To give an example, the fungus that causes sudden death syndrome, Fusarium brugliformia, there's different species, but the most prevalent is Fusarium brugliformia here in Ohio. Very cool weather conditions, compacted soil will have an effect on that fungus infecting very early as soon as, as these seeds uh, germinate and plant emerge. So the problem really starts now, but the symptoms shows up later at R5, R6, where really we cannot do much anymore. So considering, again, what Kelly was saying, know the history of your field, know the history of the different problems you have, and, and that can help you make decisions of what type of seed treatment, what type of resistance or genetics you will include in your program. Yeah, thanks for that comment, Horacio. We had a lot of struggles with that. Was it last year? I think. Last year. Yeah. So um, for those folks who've dealt with that, keep that in mind for sure. Well, thanks to both of you. This was great content. Uh, last thing we usually ask is if you have social media pages or websites that you want to share for people to get more information. Yeah, so we keep all of our outreach extension material on our uh, field crop insect website, which is aginsects.osu.edu. And most of the information that I normally provide um, will be found in the corn newsletter from our agronomy team. And I'm located in the Columbus campus, Codman Hall. So very easy to find me from the Department of Plant Pathology website. And again, if, if there's any need for us to help pinpoint diagnosing what could be the potential pathogen or group of pathogen affecting your seedlings, we're more than welcome to work with you. Well, thanks to both of you again. I know this is a busy time as you're gearing up research projects. We appreciate, of course, all the work that you do in the field and the programs you provide to our growers. Best of luck with your projects this year, and we look forward to talking to you again about some of those results. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Elizabeth. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode. Hey, podcast listeners. Just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments.